Hello, everyone. This B-side follows the message on persecution, the one in which is the culmination of the eight Beatitudes, the virtues of Christ-likeness, which Christ calls us to, because he's inviting us into the blessed or the good life. What does it look like to flourish in Eden? That's what he's inviting us to. That's what the kingdom of heaven invites us to. And so we looked at those and we finished with uh, persecution being the eighth and final. And then it also extends persecution into a result of the eight Beatitudes. Um, to live like Christ will bring opposition against your faith, both from humans and from the devil. Now, you and I know that in America, we don't typically get any violent opposition for our faith. And... um much of the rest of the world does, and we'll look at some numbers on that. Um, but we do get opposition from the devil, and he is our primary persecutor. Now, there are times when he has the chance of getting to us violently through human flesh and blood, but he will always pursue us spiritually by opposing our good works for Christ, by opposing our growth in him and our fellowship and communion in him. Um, so I wanted to share some things that didn't quite make their way into the message and some ways for you to maybe look more into this because there are two very practical books uh, that uh, really kind of opened my eyes to this reality and where our country is going. If you heard the message, you'll know that we talked about the progression of how Christianity is handled in our nation and we're right now at a point of ridicule and it's only a matter of time before ridicule becomes open attack. Um so um, I want to share those things with you. But so, uh, but before that, um, my goodness, this is the first B-side in a bit because I was on vacation with my family. We drove to Arizona, flew to New Orleans, uh, drove to Alabama, stayed there for some time, then drove to Atlanta, then drove back to Alabama, then drove to New Orleans, and then flew back to Arizona and drove back home. <laughs> it was a lot of driving, but also a lot of really good family time seeing both Brittany's parents in Arizona and my parents in Alabama. Uh, they had moved there several a few years ago, and we had not been able to make the trip out there, but we did and it was a really good time. My brother and his wife and daughter also recently moved out there. So it was just really great. And I'm thankful for those who stepped in in our absence to keep the church going. Uh, you may have heard Tyler. Tyler Glenn shared uh, on the beatitude of blessed are the pure in heart. And man, he did a really really good job doing that. So if anyone skipped that because, oh, I don't know who this is teaching, I would encourage you to give that one a listen. Tyler did an excellent job and he brings a lot of things to consider about being pure in heart. Um, unfortunately, in our absence, um, some things got overlooked and one of those was we had a guest teach for Blessed Are the Peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, and that one did not get recorded. So that one is just going to be gone. It doesn't exist in the cyber world. <laughs> but if you were there at church, then you had heard it. And I heard that both Tyler and Jonathan, who did that message, uh, both did a really good job. Um, and I just want to say, man, returning uh, this last Sunday and teaching on this message, persecution, um, what a joy. Um, 
sometimes you just have to get away uh, because uh, just get away and go somewhere completely different and kind of be lost a little bit and explore things and and just be in a different environment and then come back and then you just really appreciate what you have. And man, you guys as a church, uh, Sunday was, it just felt home. It Worship was incredible. Just from beginning to end of the service, all the, all the aspects of worship, it was, it felt like there was union and unity of people and I was enriched. And it really, it really makes teaching easier when that's the setting. Uh, so man, thank you everyone who's just been part of this family and who continues to devote themselves to Christ because you are making a difference and we don't always see the impact we're creating, but we are making a difference. But don't forget that that also means we will face some persecution from the devil. So let's be together, be strong together, and continue praying for one another. Um, also, thank you for those who prayed for us while we were gone. Um, yeah, it just really was a great trip. Of course, things went safe and well, but it was just good for our souls and um, just refreshing. Uh, the kids spent so much of their time catching frogs and toads. <laughs> uh, we got to watch alligators in their like swamp habitat and feed some of them, and Atticus was infatuated with that. Um, Brittany and I got some time together without the kids in Atlanta, and we got to um, be... Uh, just intimately involved with um, uh, an event that was over there that we went there for, um, revolving around um, a, a soccer team that we follow in England from the British Premier League, Brentford. Um, just uh, so much positivity about that experience and so much to take away um, in how the church should be. I mean, this club runs like a family. Their hospitality, uh, the way they value you as some bloke, as I would say, from California, uh, following this team in England and just how they're blown away with that. Um, I don't know if sometime down the road I might do some reflections on that. I don't really know. But um, it was really good. So, anyways, we're back happy to be back, looking forward to what God's going to keep doing in and through us, and uh, keep praying, because God is on the move. So, okay, um, persecution. What is going on around the world? So, I went to opendoors.com, uh, I think it's their website, Open Doors, and they give, uh, they publish reports about persecution around the world, and uh, just some basic numbers that are really easy to find on their website. Uh, this is what it looks like right now. Uh, one in seven Christians are persecuted worldwide. One in seven. In Africa, that's one in five. And in Asia, that's two in every five Christians. In 2022, those who were martyred for their faith totals 5,621. So over 5,000 martyrs in 2022. Uh, right now, 360 million Christians suffer, quote, high levels of persecution. 360 million suffer high levels. I, I didn't take enough time to read to what they define high level of persecution as, but I would assume that entails any kind of physical harm or death. 
360 million. Um, Last year, 2,110 churches and buildings were attacked or destroyed. And 5,259 Christians were abducted last year. So that's just a, a little snapshot of what's going on around the world. And so, yes, do we as Christians in America have it easier? Absolutely. I mean, we're not physically suffering. Um, but that doesn't mean that persecution doesn't exist or that it isn't coming in subtle ways and maybe in the next generation or so more severe ways. So if you want to explore more on this, there's an author named Rod Dreher. That's D-R-E-H-E-R, Rod Dreher. And he's written now two books, uh, both orienting around this concept of seeing the decline of Christianity in our nation. And not only its decline, but the attack, uh, I'm sorry, uh, well, yeah, the attack, um, right now through ridicule, but other governmental things that are happening that indicate that Christianity will not be on good terms with our government, or at least the people of our nation, for much longer. So his uh, book, which just, it'll just open your eyes. Uh, His book is Live Not by Lies. Live Not by Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents. And he basically goes into the experiences that Christians who survived the Soviet persecution of now, who now live in America, what they're seeing in our country and what they're saying about what they see. Because remember, they've seen a country go towards totalitarianism and they are seeing signs of that direction now. And his book discusses, uh, what we're looking at. How do Christians prepare themselves? What do we stand up for? Um, here's, uh, here's how it's described. Here's how the book is described. For years, immigrants from the former Soviet bloc have been telling Rodrer, our author, that they see telltale signs of soft totalitarianism cropping up in America. Something more brave new world than 1984. If you know those books and you know that comparison. Identity politics are beginning to encroach on every aspect of life. Civil liberties are increasingly seen as a threat to safety. Progressives marginalize conservative traditional Christians and other dissenters. Technology and consumerism hasten the possibility of a corporate surveillance state. And the pandemic, having put millions out of work, leaves our country especially vulnerable to demagogic manipulation. Okay, so setting the scenes, it can sound a little alarmist, but I think he does this in a pretty level-headed way. And it continues describing what the book is about. He says, In Live Not by Lies, Dreher amplifies the alarm sounded by the brave men and women who fought totalitarianism. He explains how the totalitarianism facing us today is based less on overt violence and more on psychological manipulation. So, yes, we in America are not suffering physically, but we are seeing 
what he's terming psychological manipulation. Continuing, he tells the stories of modern-day dissidents, clergy, laity, martyrs, and confessors from the Soviet Union and the captive nations of Europe, who offer practical advice for how to identify and resist totalitarianism in our time. Following the model offered by a prophetic World War II-era pastor who prepared believers in his Eastern European to endure the coming of communism, Live Not by Lies teaches American Christians a method for resistance. 1. See. Acknowledge the reality of the situation. 2. Judge. Assess reality in light of what we are as Christians, what we as Christians know to be true. And 3. Act. Take action to protect truth. Uh, and then he just goes on into some of the valuable Christian practices and beliefs that we have that we need to hold on to, uh, the ways that we maybe need to um, uh, focus on other things instead of things that we do focus on uh, in order to create roots and depth within the church that will survive this growth, this slow growth of hostility toward Christianity. Now, some people say that he's a bit alarmist. Calm down. Things aren't that bad. Well, sure, maybe at the moment. But what Dreher's doing is he's looking down the road and seeing where things seem to be headed and saying, the church needs to wake up and be ready for this. See, what I call alarmist is what I heard somebody say uh, recently, a Christian, who very emotionally said... Um, Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. Christianity is always one generation away from extinction? See, I think that people like Rod Dreher and Christians who are willing to have roots in their faith rather than just living an emotional, uh, spur-of-the-moment, wing-it kind of Christianity uh, there are actually Christians who have depth and will carry on the faith despite the hardest persecution. I think saying that we're always a generation away from extinction, that's a bit alarmist. Um, and and a book like this will show you that the church will be fine in persecution. The church just has to realize that uh, we can't carry on the way we are and expect ourselves to be strong in persecution. Now, as I uh, maybe perhaps somewhat clumsily, because it was just kind of kind of tagged on from the heart at the end of the sermon. But as I was sharing, um, it's, for me, um, I've thought about my own readiness to face hardship as a Christian. And I thought, man, I think that our churches, especially the one that I was in uh, and leading, wasn't doing a good job at preparing us for hardship. And so, around COVID, we started making changes. And part of these changes are to make us Christians through and through. Not just Christians who live our life and have Jesus tagging along, because it's kind of the average American attitude about being a Christian, but rather Christians who make Christ the actual center and foundation of everything they do, their choices, their thoughts, their values. And um, my heart really for our church and despite any criticism people might have about decisions we're making, um, really the whole heart about it is that we become more Christocentric. The whole purpose of our existing is that we are people 
who are loyal to, obedient to, and love, and are trying to become one with Christ. This is who we are. We are Christians. We are Christ's people. And we want to look like Christ and live and press into his life. So, um, live not by lies. Uh, you can read it. Uh, you can um, listen to it on Audible as I did. Um, man, it will move you. It's uh, And it will spur you to live not by lies. And much of our country has chosen to live by lies. And if we don't have the truth deep within us, we will by default begin embracing these lies spilling all over in our culture. Um, Before this book, I actually read this book uh, for two reasons. Um, One, because I read Dreher's book before this. <laughs> and I thought, man, this guy has good stuff to say, so I want to read his next book. But also, uh, what really nudged me over, too, was finding out that um, a pretty important voice in my own life uh, highly encouraged this book, and I appreciated, appreciate his stance on, look, the church needs to stand for truth, and the church needs to be rooted in Christ. Uh, so, um, that's why I picked up Live Not By Lies. Uh, now, his book before this is called The Benedict Option, a strategy for Christians in a post-Christian nation. Now, he wrote Live Not By Lies after COVID. He wrote The Benedict Option before COVID. So I think Live Not By Lies became like a much more urgent book for him as, as his first book said, look, the church isn't always going to be welcome, so we need to change how we do church. And then he saw COVID and he's like, okay, let's write Live Not By Lies because a lot of Soviet survivors began to say things through that whole experience like... uh Things are going downhill fast. Um, but anyway, so his first book, The Benedict Option, talks about basically what should Christian living look like and what should the church look like given the fact that we are in a post-Christian nation. Now, some people uh, kind of uh, chafe at the idea that we are a post-Christian nation. Clearly, the church is still here. We are not physically persecuted. Church doors are not being closed by the government, at least, uh, outside of COVID, at least. Um, Like, we're still here, right? And we still have a voice, and some people still give us some lip service. Yeah, we get that. But the truth is, if you really look at the values of our culture, we have moved beyond Christianity. Now, what this new America looks like is going to look very Christian, because what it's basically done is Christianity shaped what our nation is, and so we're going to hold on to some of those values, but not because they're Christian. We're going to hold on to those values. What, what basically secular society has done is they've robbed some of the values of Christianity, but basically kicked Christ off the throne and put humanism on the throne. So we, what we have is this quasi-Christian world, but we have no Christ ruling over this Christian world. That's what a post-Christian nation looks like. It's not necessarily an anti-Christian, it's post-Christian. Now, eventually a post-Christian nation can become an anti-Christian nation. And that's one of the things that we might start to see. Uh, so, what Rod Dreher begins to do in the Benedict Option is talk about, okay, in light of the fact that we are not going to enjoy Christianity as it is now in the coming generations, we need to talk about what a church that survives hardship looks like. 
And this was one of, if you want to know, one of the pivotal books that inspired me to reorient our entire church model and mission. Um, so uh, if you want to understand me, um, in part, there's several key players here, but in part, the Benedict Option was one of my main inspirations. It convinced me. It convinced me that we needed a church that did more than get together, be kind, sing songs, hear a rad, awesome, and uh, entertaining sermon. I did once aim to make my sermons as entertaining as possible. <laughs> um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, that we needed more than a get-together, sing songs, hear a good uh, presentation, and then go on our merry ways. Um, like, that's not enough. It might be enough right now for the way average Christianity is being lived. But, guys, we have to do better. We have to do better than a concert and a TED Talk. Don't you agree? We have Christ. We don't just talk about Christ. We don't just sing about Christ. We have him in our midst. And we want our lives oriented around him, and we want to be shaped by him. And that includes not just our minds. See, I think mostly what we think is that if we think about Christ, we will become like Christ. Yeah, our minds are key, but we also have bodies, and we have desires, and we must train these bodies and desires to do Christian things. And part of that has required um, a worship that is embodied, a worship that is communal, a worship that engages us not just through popular songs, and we all love those and still sing those, but also through other means and methods. Some people call them ritual, and they always say it was sort of a nasty snark. Ritual. All ritual is is it's 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 a behavior that you repeat in order to train yourself anyways i guess i'm just riffing right now um but we need we need christianity with a backbone and so yeah um we are not a traditional church we're a faithful church we're faithful to the past and I, i'm only skipping over traditional because some people put a really uh bad look on tradition um we are traditional in the sense that we want to do things that have always been done in the church that kind of got dropped out because they weren't popular or they weren't easy. Um, what we aren't, though, is that we don't succumb to traditionalism. We don't just do things because they've always been done this way. Um, when you talk to me or hear me or or if you, maybe you've experienced in church, we're only doing those things that actually seem to have significance. We aren't just doing things for tradition's sake. That's traditionalism. And traditionalism will kill a church. That's why some of the so-called traditional churches seem dead to you. They succumb to traditionalism. But tradition is a living thing. It's not dead. Tradition is one of the ways that the Holy Spirit passes Christ-likeness on from one generation to another. And I am very much about traditional Christianity in that sense. We're not inventing our faith as we go. We are receiving the faith as passed down from Christ to the apostles, to all the church leaders, down to where we are today. And if they can endure persecution, then so can we so long as we live the faith that they have passed down. So, um, one other uh, way to kind of think about persecution. Um, this one's a little less... less. Uh, I would encourage everyone to read these books that I shared, if you so are inclined. But um, the other one is uh, a movie called Silence. 
uh, Silence came out in 2016 and it features Liam Neeson and, um, Adam Driver and Andrew Garfield. So some pretty, uh, well-known, um, actors. And it's based on a Japanese novel and it follows, uh, the plot follows, uh, a seventh 17th century Jesuit priests who uh, lose touch with their mentor who went missing in Japan. And Japan during this time uh, was persecuting Christians pretty heavily. And so these priests decide to go into Japan not only to share the faith, but also to find their mentor and possibly rescue him if anything's gone awry. Um, I still haven't sorted out all my thoughts on this film because, to be honest, it's a, it's a difficult film to watch. It's rated R because it's disturbing. Uh, it shows persecution. And so it's not an easy watch. But if you want a thoughtful watch, it's called Silence. And um, it, it takes you through some experiences of persecution in Japan. And if you happen to watch it, maybe you can let me know what you think of it. So those are some thoughts on persecution and maybe other ways you can go uh, explore some of this some more. Um uh, let's see where we're going next is we're going to finish the Sermon on the Mount. We will go, um, uh, we're just going to look at Matthew. I don't have my Bible in front of me at the moment. Um, Matthew five verse 17 through, I believe verse 21 or maybe verse 20, just that paragraph where Jesus talks about, you must have a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and Pharisees. We're going to look at that this Sunday. And then I think we'll also be looking at basically all of chapter five. Um, the rest of chapter five, because Jesus then goes into six Bible studies, if you will. He quotes the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, the law, and shows us how the law showed his righteousness, but he's calling us to a greater righteousness. So righteousness looked like this in the law, but now it looks like this in Christ. So he's going to call us to step it up, and we will look at that. And it's going to end with the troubling verse, Matthew 5, verse 48, you must therefore be perfect as your heavenly father as your father in heaven, is perfect. Perfect? Really? Like, don't we all go around saying how we can't possibly be perfect in this lifetime? Did Jesus really mean what he said? <laughs> yeah, we'll look into that, but that's going to be its own message. That's going to be wild. Uh, so, it'll be wild to study for, but then it'll also be wild to present. Um, so, enjoy that coming up. We got two messages in Matthew 5, and uh, then we'll get into how G where Jesus tells us how to grow in this righteousness and in these beatitudes, these virtues. Uh, he gives us three spiritual practices. So, America's awash in this, like, spiritualism, and they all have their practices. Pfft, crumble that up and throw it away. Jesus, way before anyone else, taught us how to do spiritual practices. He gave us three really important and simple ones. Giving, praying, and fasting. These are core keystones to Christian virtue, to developing Christian virtue. And I look forward to exploring all these and more with you guys in the weeks to come. So... Grace and peace to all of you, my brothers and sisters. Uh, and until next time, may the peace of the Lord Christ go with you.